The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're going to talk all about ferments, and we're here with Alex Curry from Pyramid Ferments, which is over in Prince Edward County, which is very close to us. So welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I love your products. Just want to say that. Thank you. And I see them in the grocery stores and all around town. So they're <laughs> in Belleville. Are they are they further out than Belleville in the county? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can get it anywhere between Ottawa and the GTA. Oh, wow. So a bunch of places in between. It's like it's over a hundred stores, something like that. That's fantastic because it's really good stuff. Thank you. And uh, it's a nice treat for me to go and get some kombucha because I recently found out this year that if you buy a can of pop, it's most likely lined with BPA yeah. on the can. Um, so tell me a little bit more about what you make. So you make many different flavors of kombucha. Yeah, yeah, we do three different flavors of kombucha right now, plus some like uh, seasonal stuff. We're just starting to get into uh, putting things on tap. But right now we do one called Green Queen, which is kind of inspired by our garden in springtime. So it's uh, lemon basil, echinacea, and coriander with green tea. Personally, it's my favorite. It's fantastic. Uh, we do one that is blueberry and lemon verbena. And then we also do one that's raspberry and hops. And with our flavors, at least the ones that we have in stores and in bottles, we like to only use ingredients that can be grown in Ontario. That's mostly just to kind of like set ourselves apart from the competition, which right now is huge. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of kombucha companies. And I mean, that's fantastic. The more the merrier. But as, you know, running a business, I do have to set myself apart. Yeah. So, you know, we get people asking like, why don't you have a mango flavor? And it's like, why don't you have a ginger flavor? And it's like, well, if I was going to do a Canadian ginger flavor, I would be charging you upwards of $10 a bottle. Like that's all, it's so hard to find that. Wow. Um, also, we set ourselves apart by being one of, if not the lowest sugar kombucha on the market, which I think is very important. Um, some brands out there, like the sugar contents are equal if not just a, a tad lower than like a soda or a pop and i mean at that point what's the point why are you even drinking it mm -hmm. it would negate the health the benefits a exactly i mean there's there's a lot of them out there now too that like you know like they're basically making pasteurized juice and then adding their culture afterwards which sure do it <laughs> uh not for us we do it the way like the old way we do it just like uh you would make it at home but just in larger batches and it's taken us years to figure that out and to do it on a like a sustainable and it's the word i'm looking for like a continuous brew yeah yeah so it's been fun and it's yeah one of my favorite things to do right now you know what you said about the mango i think people forget that if you were going to make a mango flavor, you have to have a pretty big carbon footprint to bring those mangoes over yeah. <laughs> either on an airplane or a ship or, yeah. or something, right? It, I mean, sometimes it goes airplane, then ship, then truck. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and it's then just... refrigeration maybe even. Exactly. And then also when you're getting things that, um, you know, are shipped halfway across the world, it, the quality isn't there all the time. That being said, I mean, we, we try to keep things as local as we can, but we also have to work within the season. So how do you guys not have a SCOBY form in the bottle? 
There's two reasons for that. One is that we we do keep it so such low sugar. Scobies love sugar. That's what they eat. That's what they feed on. Mm-hmm. So when we do our kombucha, we ferment it longer than most companies. So the longer you ferment kombucha, the less sugar is left at the at the end of fermentation. So we fermented a little bit longer to keep the sugars as low as possible. And then with a flavor like Green Queen, the flavors that we're adding on top of the initial fermentation, there's barely any sugar there either. Like it's herbs. So when we bottle, we actually purge most of the air out of the um, out of the bottles before they're capped. Um, and the sugar is so low that the SCOBY just really doesn't have much to eat anymore. If, if that makes cool. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for our listeners who don't know what a SCOBY is. Sure. What is it? <laughs> so a SCOBY stands for a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. And what that is, is when you're making kombucha, you start out with a, a, a tea, like a sweet tea, a tea and sugar. And then you got to add your finished kombucha. So like almost like a starter, like a, like a sourdough starter. And then you add your SCOBY, which basically looks like the best I can describe it is like like a white jellyfish hockey puck looking thing. Like, just look up a picture. There's tons of them out there. That's a good description. That's so, what it looks like. Definitely, definitely. So the bacteria that's in the starter liquid actually ferments using tea and air. The SCOBY that sits on top almost works as like, like a filter just to make sure that like, you know, no particulates getting into the kombucha and that it has like a like a seal over top, like almost to create like a, like an air airtight space. It's just basically one of the, one of the most important parts of making kombucha. Do you have like big containers, like the brewers? Oh yeah. Do? Yeah. 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 So we, big, huge vats. And- yeah, we do. Um, right now we're, we just moved in this year into large, like stainless steel, 2000 liter brewing tanks. And the scobies are massive. Like they're maybe <laughs> six and a half feet in diameter. Oh my gosh, you could sit on it. Yeah, <laughs> You'd probably hold yeah. up your weight. <laughs> it's it's intense, and it's um, it's awesome. great. Yeah. So you also make other products too, though, because yeah. I am a regular eater of uh, your kimchi. Yep. I, I try to cook like a lot of vegan food, mm-hmm. but I'm not used to it, so I find a lot of it is bland for me. So. I'll often just add a spoon of that and it really just flavors up kind of anything I'm making. Definitely. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, So you do kimchi and um, sauerkraut, right? Yep. We do four different flavors of sauerkraut right now. Over the years, we've kind of pared it down. Like we're, we we have a lot of fun in our kitchen. Like we're always doing experimental small batches. But as far as like our core lineup, we do our kimchi, which is a vegan kimchi. Uh, we do a smoked garlic and jalapeno oh, uh, sauerkraut. Good. And the best part about that is that it's real smoke. So nice. we actually take um, garlic and jalapeno and just smoke them with hickory chips. Then add that to sea salt and cabbage. Let it ferment. Uh, we do harissa, which we really like. It's like a, our own blend of toasted cumin, caraway, and coriander with uh, hot pepper and garlic with cabbage and sea salt. We do one called Old World, which is just very plain, like Eastern European classic, just cabbage, caraway, sea salt. Mm-hmm. And then we also do dill and garlic, which we find is usually a good one when somebody tells us they don't like sauerkraut. We say, well, do you like pickles? They say, yeah, of course. It's like, well, try this. It tastes like a pickle. And then they try it. And it's, you know, unlike most sauerkrauts that they try, which is usually just yeah, like, well, not usually, but sometimes just cabbage soaked in vinegar in a jar. 
Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, it is a lot different. So. Well, I think it sounds weird if you're not used to it. I remember my first experience was like a hot dog stand when I was little in Toronto. I think oh, we're going sure. to a Blue Jays game. Yep. And my dad was putting on, on his hot dog. And I was like, what is that? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it's kind of like rotten cabbage. I was like, oh, my gosh, why would you, you know, have that? And then, you know, years later, I'm like eating it all the time. Oh, for sure. Like <laughs> I remember when – so in I think it was like 2007 – was the first time that my wife Jenna, uh, girlfriend at the time, said, I'm, I'm going to make a big batch of sauerkraut. I was like, why would you do? Why? <laughs> She's like, well, I got this old crock from from my mom, and I, I just want to try it out. I've been reading about the health benefits. So her and her friend Lindsay got together and had a big kraut party. And then at this time, we were living in um, Halifax in like this kind of like too many people in one house, <laughs> like, you know, just mid-20s type of deal and there's this huge crock sitting on our kitchen table just reeking like i just i couldn't even describe it like nowadays i don't even notice it but you know everybody would come in and they'd be like what is on your table and be like well it's a big batch of sauerkraut it's like the same deal it's just like why it's like well and then you know eventually it's it got to the point where we it was finished and we tried it and we really really enjoyed it and yeah, this is like, like I said, like 2007, 2008. So like the health, like it's not like today where people are pushing it, right? Um, and even when we started Pyramid Ferments in 2012, it was just people didn't know about it at all. Like we, we started a farmer's market and it was the same, same deal. Like we, we sold vegetables, like we had a small farm. And then at the end of the year, we would always make our sauerkraut. And it turned from... You know, like people coming up and be like, oh, I'll take some tomatoes and some carrots and some uh, potatoes. What is that? Why are you making sauerkraut? Like, why? (laughs) You know, there'd be one in 10 just being like, oh, my goodness, like, finally, somebody doing this. Oh, wow. And, you know, over the years, we've seen it. And then we've seen other companies pop up and like, you know, the industry really starting to come into its own, which is just fantastic. And it it makes our our job a lot easier because, yeah, the first four years of our product was basically just explaining to people what it is, you know what I mean? And why it's good for you and et cetera, et cetera. But now it's, it's nice to see the, the, the public and the general like health conscious public, like kind of catching up, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So why is it good for you? It's the probiotic culture for the most part. So when you add salt to cabbage, it pulls out the moisture in, in the cabbage and makes its own brine. And that brine is, is just salty enough that the probiotics, it's a probiotic mostly called lactobacillus, uh, that's found naturally on the cabbage and in the cabbage, can not only thrive in that salty environment, but it can multiply by, by the billions. And that's, that's where it all comes from. And that, that's what your gut wants. Like when, when you hear people saying, like, I eat yogurt, it's like, well... A jar of our sauerkraut, 500 milliliters, and I mean, this is rough estimate. It's, it'd be like eating 10 liters of yogurt, like 10 <laughs> to 15 or something like that. It's a rich probiotic and filled with awesome um, nutrients, superfood, essentially. So it brings out the nutrients that are already in the cabbage, but like grows it and multiplies the good stuff. Yeah. Basically. Well, that's the cool thing. Like cabbage is already like this. A lot of people don't know this one. Like cabbage is very high in vitamin C already. Oh, yeah? I didn't know that. It's Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, once you ferment it, the vitamin C content can go up upwards of like 30 times. No way. Yeah. 
Oh, it's, that's really good to know. Yeah, there's a lot of really neat things with it. So Yeah, because yeah. you just think cabbage and it looks so plain and boring. For sure. Like when it's on its own. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can talk about it for, for days. Like, you know, like a lot of people say the like, cabbage is the reason the like one of the reasons that we populated the world. Why like, is that? Well, there was problems with like rickets and um, not rickets, scurvy. That was the one. Like we all learned about right. it in school. Pirates and, and on ships yeah. and explorers. Yeah. And there was only so many places where you could get oranges. Yeah. You know what I like mean? Like nowhere and really exactly. <laughs> around here. So people would make sauerkraut. They would make sauerkraut cool. and it would be on the ship and they would keep a big bucket of sauerkraut literally for that reason. It was like to keep people in vitamin C. Wow. Yeah. I should have had that on the Franklin expedition. You know, those two ships that I know, right? went down in the north because I think they had a problem with scurvy. And I was always thinking, like, how do they go on these these big journeys back then without oranges? Like, you don't just stop off in Florida first from England on your way to, like, the Northwest Passage. For sure. <laughs> just yep. to get oranges. And it's not like you can just go to the health food store and pick up a vitamin C pill. Like, you had to come up with something. And, I mean, I'm not saying it was all sauerkraut, but, like... A lot of it was. And then every you look at everywhere around the world and everywhere has their, their somewhat version of something fermented. You know what I mean? It's really neat. Like you look yeah. at Korea, kimchi. You know, I've never tried pickled eggs, though. Have you tried pickled eggs? We actually used to u- take our brine that was left over from our sauerkraut batches and we were keeping chickens at the time. So we used to actually put hard-boiled eggs in the brine and leave that for like... I don't know, three or four days or something like that. And it was, they were fantastic. Really good. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. You'll have to try one one time. It's one of those things you see at like the old dusty bars, like in the small yeah, towns, for sure. you know? Yep. Oh, definitely. <laughs> when you guys were sitting around in Halifax making your first batch, how did you eat it? Did you put it on? I think we were just putting it on the side everything? of everything. Yeah. Which yeah. is mostly what we do now too. Because like one thing about sauerkraut or kimchi or anything fermented is that you want to keep it raw. Yeah. Because once you cook it, you're going to kill all the bacteria. Like the the bacteria is alive. So you can't freeze it. You can't – like if you can freeze it and it's going to keep all the the great vitamin C in there. But if you cook it or freeze it, you're going to kill all the bacteria. Like it's a live living food. Basically the biggest difference between canning and fermenting is that you don't want to – introduce like a high heat situation to a fermented food because it just it kills off all the good stuff um whereas with canning you're putting food into a stasis so you're adding i don't know let's say like carrots and vinegar you're making pickled carrots so you're putting your your vinegar and your pickle in a jar and then you put it in your water bath and you heat it up to seal it to seal the top and then that that food's good for a, a long time whereas with fermentation since it is alive, you don't seal the top with heat, but you have to keep it in the fridge. And the reason for that is the colder you keep a ferment, the bacteria almost goes into like, it slows it down. Like not not as far as like a hi- hibernation, but mm. it, it'll slow it down to the point where your food's going to stay fresher longer. Say if I was to keep my sauerkraut on the counter at room temperature, the bacteria is super excited they're like oh this is perfect for us like we're we're going to eat as much as we can we're going to multiply we're going to keep going and while they're eating everything they can they're basically making your in this case let's say sauerkraut mushier and less less crisp right so when you keep it in the fridge the bacteria is alive they're still there they're fine but they're not 
I don't even know how to describe it. Not, not like, like a, eating is fast, right? Exactly. It's not yeah. like a pack of locusts where they're just like, yeah, let's eat everything. <laughs> like, let's go, 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 go. Like, and while they're fermenting, they're giving off CO2. So like, I'm sure at some point you'd open a jar of sauerkraut and it's gone yeah. and kind of bubbled up. That's, that's a fantastic thing. That means the bacteria is super happy. A little scary because it's not something that everybody's used to, having your food bubble up like that. In most cases, that's a, that's a very bad sign. But with fermenting, it's, it's totally fine. Just roll with it and push it back down and eat some, put it back in the fridge. So when I go away for a week or so, I'll take my sourdough starter mm-hmm. and I'll just put it in the fridge so that I don't have to feed it for the week or whatever. And then it's usually I think so, fine. yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then I'll put it back on the counter when I'm like going to make some bread soon. Yep. Just let it come back up to room temperature. Just let it, uh, you know, get back up to its like, quote unquote, happy place. Yeah. 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 So somebody asked me, too, if it was safe to be making it on my own. And I thought, well, I think so because I've been fine. Uh, But then you're saying that um, you you don't heat it and the bacteria is safe. But I I know with canning, you can get like botulism and some bad things if you don't heat it enough. So I'm taking it that my kombucha is pretty safe to to make oh totally yeah like yeah. the the thing with botulism is that like i'm not a hundred percent on these numbers so i mean don't don't quote me on these but i mean look it up on the internet and look up the ph that botulism can survive in uh you can get a ph meter it's like 15 bucks you can test your, your the ph of your um of any of your batches of fermented food you want to look for a ph that's at least under four uh, most kombucha say that I'm bottling, I'll be looking for like 3.85, 3.8, somewhere around there. If it's over four, I, I let it ferment longer because mm-hmm. that that's that's where botulism or some other nasty bugs can survive. But I, I don't think there's been like at least any major cases that, that I've been able to find of botulism or any like, you know, nasty bugs that have happened in sauerkraut or kimchi, at least on a commercial level. Mm-hmm. That's good. So what is like the difference between fermenting and rotting, basically? Control. Yeah. Yeah, that's really it. It's just uh, rotting would be you're not adding the salt. Salt is the the great equalizer within this. Salt is what's going to help the bacteria be happy. Uh, if the bacteria doesn't have that, like, that salty environment, then the bacteria... They're not fermenting. They're just, it's, it's a whole different thing. So control and salt. Cool. And temperature. Temperature is another big one. Let's say if I wanted to make cabbage or fermented sauerkraut and it was four degrees in my house, like fridge temperature, it, that's way too cold for the bacteria. It's not happy. Yeah. Uh, the, the rule that I always use is when I'm fermenting, if I'm happy and I'm comfortable, then the bacteria is happy and it's comfortable. Oh, that's nice. So, you know, I'm not going to sit in my house at eight degrees. I'm also <laughs> not going to sit in my house at 24. Like it's also, I've, if I'm really uncomfortable and really hot, then the bacteria is probably really uncomfortable and really hot. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Some companies will add CO2, like it's called forced carbonation into kombucha, where you'll, um, you know, slowly add CO2 into your batch and kind of like introduce the bubbles. Us, we don't do that. We, um, we just cap it and then let it sit for a while, it'll make its own CO2. It's mm-hmm. totally fine. Yeah. That being said, our, our kombucha is a lot less bubbly than most, and that's on purpose. Um, we just, I don't believe in forced carbonation, and I don't want to add more sugar before bottling to um, to do that kind of a forced carbonation. We just kind of let it do its own thing. It's called bottle conditioning. 
It's nice to keep it natural. We do the best we can. You have another product too called Gut Shots, right? Yeah. So what? what's that? That's the brine from our sauerkraut. Oh, yeah? It's literally when we are making our sauerkraut, we do them in 30-gallon barrels. And at the bottom of each barrel, there's about, I'm going to say, three to five gallons of brine. And that's not water. That's actually the liquid that's been taken out of the cabbage by the salt. And I can't put that in, in every jar because I'd be selling, it's like a soup. Water. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's fantastic for you. For people who want the probiotic culture from eating sauerkraut or kimchi, but don't like the idea of eating sauerkraut or kimchi for whatever reason, we say, okay, then just take a shot. It's mm-hmm. super easy. Literally just shot a day. That's all your body needs. Um, Does it taste good? Tastes like sauerkraut and kimchi. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's we do two major flavors right now because there are two most popular flavors, so we can kind of keep a good stock of it. So we uh, we do our kimchi and we do our, our dill and garlic sauerkraut. So one tastes exactly like our dill and garlic sauerkraut and one tastes exactly like our kimchi. That's cool. Yeah. I want to try the dill one because I'm a big fan of pickles. It's I great. I haven't tried that one yet. Yeah. Oh, the dill one's fantastic. Like even my daughter who's four is all about it. Like it's just, it's just pickle juice, but you're not drinking a bunch of vinegar. So you're actually getting the, the taste of like cabbage, dill and garlic. Oh, that sounds really good. Um, so you, you said that... The probiotics is like the the best part. And obviously the vitamin C from the cabbage is really good too with these fermented products. But mm-hmm. why are probiotics so important for people? Because 80% of our whole immune system starts in our stomach. So it, like, especially now, like it's, it's not just our immune system, like it's our brain function. It's our diet. Well, obviously our digestion, it's our antibodies. It's, it's, it's everything. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's coming now where like people are saying like, we, we basically have two brains, you know, we have our main brain that controls, you know, our basic motor functions and our, our thoughts and stuff like that. But then we also have our, our gut brain, which is kind of like the fuel, I guess, is the best way I can describe that. It's what's carrying everything throughout our body. It's what's helping us out, like, you know, fight infection. It's what's helping us out fight pollution. Just everything that our body has to deal with on a daily basis, our our gut bacteria is there to almost be like our helpers, our, like our soldiers. Mm-hmm. I so, think this is new information, too, that we're learning, right? It's sort of coming up to the forefront of health. That- for sure. It's a, it's a big deal right now. And I yeah. mean, for some countries and some places in the world, this is this is common knowledge. But I mean, we live in uh, we live in North America, you know what I mean? So it's uh, it's a lot different here. Like uh, people are eating, you know, just not everybody, but you go into a grocery store and you can you can easily buy two hundred dollars worth of empty calories. Yeah, easily, easily, and you know pesticides and chemicals and you know like food that isn't even food. You know what I mean? Like you don't even have a, a, a meat or vegetable or any ingredient on it. You just you know, and that that's going into our body on a daily basis. Not to mention we're dealing with pollution and we're dealing with all of the uh, the other outside factors. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, our stomach bacteria that's, you know, like craving just something good, we're just bombarding with garbage. You know what I mean? We're just bombarding it with sugar and coffee, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like just on a daily basis. So our bacteria just it isn't happy and it's, it's just not working with us. And I mean, why would it? It has no reason to work with us when you're just constantly throwing garbage at it 
it, right? If so. we haven't killed them off with antibiotics. For sure. That's right? another, I didn't even mention antibiotics. You know what I mean? Like I like to avoid them at all, at all costs. You know what I mean? But I mean, it is, it is a, you know, like a reality that we do have to deal with. Like sometimes you do have to get rid of things with antibiotics. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd be dead right now if it wasn't for antibiotics, honestly. I, for sure. <laughs> like I used to deal with like tonsillitis as a kid and oh, like, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. But like, at least now we're learning that you can repopulate it. And it's not just, you know, like the strawberry yogurt at the grocery store that that you have to depend on. You know what I mean? Okay, or, I have two problems with yogurt <laughs> that sure. you buy in the store. So one is that they come in plastic, and yep. usually they come in like single-serving plastic. Yep. So instead of buying a big container, which you could recycle again, you're using like all these little tiny containers, which oh, is like sure. worse and it's less quality. So that sucks for the garbage. And usually people don't rinse them out. And if you don't rinse them out right away, it dries, and then nobody wants to clean them out. For sure. So then you really can't recycle them. So that's my first problem. And then the second is, what you were kind of mentioning before with all the sugar. So when you look at the ingredients, it's like yogurt, sugar, and then like a whole bunch of other things. Maybe some preservatives are thrown in there or like a thickener or something. Definitely. So there's there's one kind that I get that has a cow on it. I can't remember the name. Astro. Is it? Yep. Maybe. Um, it's That's astro. just like total, natural, normal. Yeah, it's like red, red and white. Yeah, that's the yeah, one. It's astro. Yeah, and then I can, <laughs> I can take it that and use it as a starter. For sure. If I want to make some more. Yep. Uh, which is nice. So that's good. But yeah, I do have a problem with yogurt. And also the ones in McDonald's have the, uh, it's actually seven plastic, number seven. Yeah, like which, the tubes. Yeah, which yeah. is the most likely to be like a conglomerate of like who knows what chemicals being put into the plastic. So For sure. it's a little bit weird. Well, tell me tell me about the caffeine content in kombucha. In kombucha? Yeah. Um, that's, it's, it's kind of like cutting about half. So the process yeah. cuts the caffeine in half? Yeah. Okay, that's really good news because I was a little hesitant to give it to my son, but I have been yep. uh, for a treat. And I don't want to like, you know, inundate him with caffeine when he's really little. Oh, for sure. So. I mean, it is going to be in there. Like yeah. it, it is going to be in there. But I mean, honestly, just just monitor it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I mean, that, that's completely up to you as a parent and stuff like that or anybody as a parent. But I mean... I've given um, my daughter kombucha before, and the reaction that she has to kombucha is nothing to compared to the reaction she has when she, say, has uh, something sugary. Like, like a, a pop? Pop or so a slice of cake or whatever, oh, you know wow. what I mean? So, like, she's bouncing off the walls, <laughs> you know, just driving us nuts <laughs> in a good way. But, uh, you know, like kombucha, I've, I haven't noticed any of that. Yeah, so the reason I ask is because I can't notice the caffeine. So if I drink a cup of coffee, I'm like wired, like I can't stop talking, like I get a lot of work done. But with kombucha, I don't notice. So I wasn't sure. I had a feeling that maybe the caffeine was being cut down somehow in the process. Yep. But it's really cool to hear that from you. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like the 100% authority on that either. So I mean, there is a lot of studies out there that you can look into. There's also a, uh, a really cool festival happening in uh, Montreal. It's called Boochfest. It's an oh, yeah. international kombucha festival. Cool. That'd be the place you'd want to go. Nice. Find out stuff like that. Or you could always come to our festival, which I'm going to shamelessly plug right now. <laughs> I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> so we run the, uh, the Ontario Fermentation Festival. It's in Picton every summer. Um, this is a big year for us because we booked um, the kind of like fermented guru uh, or like the uh, superstar of fermentation. His name is Sandor Katz. He wrote The Art of Fermentation and Wild Fermentation. Uh, like when I mentioned that Jenna was making sauerkraut in 2006, she got the recipe from Wild Fermentation nice. from the book. 
So we booked him. He's been all over the world uh, promoting, learning. He's a just a, a wealth of information, as well as everybody else that's coming there. Like, you know, we're going to have over 40 at least fermented vendors. Um, everybody's there to it's just... Big. It's going to be great. Yeah, we're excited. And we're going to have workshops, uh, you know, like make your own sauerkraut, make your own kimchi. We're having a company called Contraband Ferments coming up from New York for a, like a homemade miso workshop. So it's in July? No, it's in August. August, August 3rd. August 3rd. Cool. So if you don't know about the county, the Prince Edward County, it's on the northern side of Lake Ontario yep. and it's near Belleville. And uh, it's a mecca for like growing things. So I guess it used to be a big area for growing like tomatoes because I think they did a lot of canning and stuff. There's a ton of canning there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like canning factories. I know my grandmother worked at one for a little bit before she got yep. married. And also the the wineries are starting to like be noticed on the international stage. For sure. Now the grapes are really good that grow there. And then also the breweries that have popped up everywhere. <laughs> we work with Patchwork Gardens out of Kingston. They're fantastic. They grow all our beets for a product we actually haven't talked about yet, our beet kvass. Oh, yeah. You know what's funny about beets is that I never liked them until I was 33. Really? Yeah, I just could not <laughs> eat them. It was, And I'm not a picky eater at all. It's one yep. of the only things I, I never liked. Okay. I just thought they tasted like dirt to me. And then when I was 33, I just started eating them. I actually eat them with some goat cheese on a pasta and for some reason okay. the combination and now i love beets and i can't get enough of them so my wife makes an amazing type of deal the same type of deal like a like a goat cheese um like salad with beets and it's it's fantastic so yeah oh that's funny i actually got some ordered with the spiral i don't know if you've seen yoga beets those ones is that what they are yep yeah so i'm gonna try and grow those but yeah we've been eating them and we eat the leaves too they make a good oh beet um, greens yeah they're the best yeah. yeah. My dad was nuts about bee greens when I was My a kid. My dad is so. the one who eats them. Yeah, he got Same. rid of them. He was He'll all... just eat a whole pile. <laughs> like when I was a kid, I got so excited about beet greens because of him. Like he'd just be like, oh, there's beet... Yeah, beet green season. And I'd be like, yeah, great. And like, didn't... He... I liked them, but like not like... A lot, but I got so excited because he was so excited. It was so funny. <laughs> My dad's a very same. It's funny. Old guys in their gardens, I guess. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other thing I wanted to ask you is why did you choose glass over plastic? Because obviously I'm a big fan of Oh, yeah, of for sure. Um, just fermentation and, and at least plastic for storage just doesn't it doesn't mix very well. Like 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 there are high grade plastics out there that, that can be used for for fermentation. But if I was to jar every jar of sauerkraut in those, like one, it's impossible. Two, it would be insanely expensive. I thought glass would have been more expensive. Not than a high quality plastic. Like, well, I'd be, that's hard to say, actually. I don't know. I'd have to look at the prices. Yeah. Please don't (laughs) switch to plastic. No, 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 no. no. We have no plans in that. We have no plans in that. We, um, like we just, we've just always believed that the fermentation should be in glass. I remember there was about, I don't know, five or six years ago, I went to a brewery and I ordered a six pack and they came out in plastic bottles. Oh, I've never seen that. It, that was the only time I had ever seen it. And I was like, this is just weird. And I don't feel that I can, I just didn't feel comfortable with it. You know what I mean? And I'd, be, <laughs> yeah. I'd feel the same way if I got a jar of sauerkraut like that or a kombucha like that or et cetera. When it comes to like our sauerkraut, we do most of, not we, sorry, Jenna, my wife, does most of it by taste. Like it's a very, she's very intuitive with her stuff. She can taste the plastic. Wow. So, and that's another thing. It's just like we want to be able to offer the the most pure taste that we can. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Well, thank you, Alex, so much for coming on the show. Anytime. And, um, it's Alex Curry and Jenna Empey, and they are the, the owners and the founders that's right. uh, and operators of Pyramid Ferments here in Prince Edward County. And uh, it's really good stuff. And I've got the kimchi in my fridge right now. And <laughs> <laughs> thank <laughs> I you. I put it on everything. And, and it's you have a website, pyramidferments.com? That's it. Awesome. So if you want to check them out, you can check them out there. I'm sure you're on Instagram and Facebook too. Yep. It's just all at Pyramid Ferments. That's mostly me. So, I mean, if you um, DM me or message me, that that's me. I will get back to you. Yeah, it's a good thing. Okay, well, thank you so much, Alex. Anytime. Thank you. If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean. You can find me on Patreon. Or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.